popular topic to talk about this morning that we could talk about, and that is that of authority. If you have a, a topic that is more just deep down uh, that you think is worse, then you can tell me after the service. But um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're here for this anyways. Um, and just so you know, we are in chap- uh, Luke chapter 20, and just so you don't think we are jumping around uh, just to get to particular topics, to target particular people, we are still going uh, sequentially. Uh, last week, Charles preached on the 10 uh, minas, and, and then we skipped over a story, but it's because we've already done it. So in between um, the parable of the 10 minas, then we had the triumphal entry of Jesus, which we covered on Palm Sunday. And what you need to know before going into this passage is that Jesus has just ridden in on a donkey, and the first thing he did was he cleansed the temple uh, when he got into Jerusalem, and now he has positioned himself in the temple to sit down and teach. So it's a little tense, Um, and especially with the establishment, they are a little upset um, at Jesus, who he is and what he is up to in this parable. So this is Luke chapter 20, verses 1 to 19. We have it here in your worship folder. You're welcome to follow along with me. One day as Jesus was teaching uh, the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together before we start. Father, would you help us all this morning to understand your word? Uh, Would you make my words clear and true and helpful um, and kind and humble? And when you open up all of our hearts that we might understand and receive what you have for us this morning. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me just get my 
stopwatch started here. All right. Um, in looking into this story, uh, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies, uh, which I actually haven't seen in quite a long time. But y'all remember the movie Maverick? It's probably been a while before the movie came out. It was a Mel Gibson movie. Uh, Mel Gibson was a, um, a poker pro and a quick draw. Uh, and there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where Maverick goes into a, a new town and he sits down and plays poker with people. And after a little while, he starts, because he's a pro, winning and taking all their money. And then there's a ruffian at the other end of the table who's kind of the local authority uh, based on his gun and his uh, ruffianness, eventually stands up and calls Maverick a cheat because he is the authority in these parts. He is the one who interprets the rules. Uh, He is the one who settles disputes because he is the biggest and baddest in this community. And Maverick is from out of town, and he's not that. And so the scene unfolds. They go back and forth, and the guy, you know, challenges Maverick to a duel, and he feigns humility and says, you know, if if a little guy like me went up against you, what chance would I have? And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, he draws and says, absolutely none whatsoever. And he draws so fast that he catches the other guy off guard who can't even draw, um, and everybody is just standing there looking. And Maverick publicly shames this guy, and he sends him away, and the scene is set where he went away with no harm at that time, but you know what's coming, that this guy who was shamed is going to come back again, and he is going to come after Maverick by the end of the movie. And I give you this illustration because this is a very similar thing that is going on in this passage right now. We are witnessing like a standoff in the street. Uh, between two authorities. Where Jesus is from out of town, there is a clear establishment here. Uh, Jesus starts interpreting the rules, and he starts settling disputes in his own ways. And the leadership structure there is like, ain't no way. Who are you, outsider, who was able to come in here and do that with us? And they try to shame Jesus publicly, but in the course of um, of this conversation... Then Jesus, in the blink of an eye, turns the tables on them and exposes the leaders to public shame. And he sends them away, and the stage is set for what we know is coming. That they might have gone away in this day, but they are going to come back again. And they are going to come up with another plot in order to take Jesus down. But it more than illustrates just the events of this passage, I think. It illustrates a phenomenon for us. Because when this, this exchange is going on in this story, that the majority of the people here are in the crowd... And they are watching. And they are watching this dispute unfold as these two marshals are on other ends of the street anticipating the draw. And they are watching to decide who is the real authority here. Who is the one who I need to side with? And that is something that I think is very relevant to us here. Um, in all times, in every time, in every place. That we are constantly watching as those who claim authority who have actual authority, either by institutions or by ideological authority or those things, they're all warring. They're going on all the time. And they're represented by our favorite columnists, our favorite pundits and podcast people and friends and uh, even preachers, um, people who speak. Um, And we're watching. And how this unfolds, who has the true authority here um, between all of these powers? And that's where we sit here in this position. This is a story, I think, that is about public authority. It is a contest of authority of who 
is the one who has the real authority that is legitimate and who is able to actually keep it uh, and carry it out. And what Jesus wants us to see here, so if we view ourselves as the crowd, that we are watching this exchange going, going on with the crowd, is that he is making a very particular point. And there is judgment and there is shame that is going on here that is difficult to watch and is difficult to take. But there is a method in Jesus' madness in that he is showing that he is the one who has divine authority over absolutely everybody and everything. But not only does he have that authority, but he is showing that only through him that there is a banquet of goodness and hope that he is able to dispense to his people that shows him as trustworthy that we would entrust not just part of ourselves, but all of our lives to him to put ourselves in his hand. That's the, that's the main point um, that all of this is going to uh, hopefully support. So I just have two points. Um, one is we're going to look at sources of authority. And that's just we're going to look at the different types of authorities here, uh, where they come from, the options that we have to choose from. And then we're going to look at the consequences of each of those authorities. Uh, so let's jump in. And if, you know, just starting off, if we're looking at the sources of authority, of ultimate authority, that is, those who, who have the authority to give meaning to life, uh, to make sense of the events in our lives. The first person on the stage that draws our attention, of course, is Jesus, uh, because he has shown up. This might seem like a Sunday school answer, but Jesus, Jesus has shown up and he has just cleansed the temple, which is a radical thing, and he has sat down as the authoritative teacher. Like This would be just so uncool it would be without parallel if we were in that day i mean he was he violated every norm every rule that um um, he could and it was very particular reason he is showing that he has the authority over all these things he has the authority over the temple he has the authority to teach and to reveal uh the plan and the mission of god and this has been coming for a long time. We've seen this um, in this whole letter of Luke from his miraculous birth uh, to his baptism, where the voice um, calls him the beloved son, uh, God's beloved son, which we see that language come up here in this uh, parable later on. Uh, we've seen all of his teaching, all of his miracles have been leading to this point, And they have led to this point of very public, intense confrontation with the authorities that are present. Um, and, but beyond that, there has also been the testimony only of the Old Testament, and there have been the testimony of John the Baptist, who came before to show that the Spirit is moving and that this is the person that who God has uh, given his authority to. Um, this is God himself. He is the one who reveals um, the Godhead um, in the incarnated Jesus Christ. And this is no small thing, because what does authority come with? That if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has the authority that he is claiming to have, he is more than just a political figure. It means he has the authority to dictate uh, what behaviors are acceptable and what are not. That he can actually tell us what is the good life and what is not the good life. He has the authority to show us the nature of his kingdom. That what is valuable and what is not valuable in this kingdom He has the ability to rearrange our structures and to give us different ones. He has the authority to raise up. He has the authority to tear down. There is not one sphere of life 
that Jesus is not in control of. He has the authority to say what kind of situations we go through in life, whether they're going to be easy or whether they're going to be hard. All of these things that Jesus is claiming to have absolute, ultimate authority over life, that we owe our allegiance to him exclusively. And just sit with that for a second. And I just think about, I mean, I, I'm not predisposed to following authority. Um, sometimes it's easy and it's convenient to follow authority. Uh, but there's just something inside that, that even at the word of being under someone's authority that someone could dictate to me that just rises up um, inside. And, and if that's you too, just I want you to pay attention and, and, and sit with that for just a little bit. Because that's one of the things that Jesus is driving at, that he wants us to see, he wants us to pay attention to. But if that's true in us, it was also true to another camp in Jesus' day. And that Jesus is one source of ultimate authority, but the reason why this is so tense is because there were more options that people had to follow. There was also this group um, uh, who had an authority, which I'm calling, it's an authority from advantage. And I'll I'll unpack this in just a second. And I'm getting this from the temple elite here. Uh, Just pay attention here to what what this says. These people, they're listed as the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, uh, are the group that confronted Jesus. And the thing that all these people had in common is that they got their position because of their relationship with the temple. And that society, this was built around the temple, and they had a, a, a connection with the temple that gave them a particular advantage. And so they were able to use that advantage, and they were able to wield it um, and to wield authority in the way that they saw fit. Um, in some of the ways here, so the chief priests, that there could have been an element of birth here, um, so you could have been born into this. But more and more in Jesus' day, that this, you became a chief priest because of your political connections. That if you had the right political connections, you could have the high position. And that you were an interpreter of the law um, if you sat in this position. Scribes have an advantage because they are the educated. They're the educated elite. And they are the ones who have been through school after school after school, and they know a lot. Um, they are, a, in an educational sense, a knowledge sense, they're in a class above everybody else. And the elders are everybody who have been successful enough and who have been wealthy enough that they have a sphere of influence and they are in tight with the rest of this group. So this and just this phrase, this is Jesus's, uh, or Luke, as he is telling this parable, is showing that this is the group of people who have the most advantage to wield and control their authority than anybody else in society. And on the one hand, we have to recognize this is a historical uh, story and parable about a historical people. Um, This group doesn't exist anymore today. Um, And we need to recognize that Jesus is talking to a particular group of people. But it doesn't take much when we think about it and when we think about the parallels, how this works in our day too. Because whatever group there is, there is always a group of people that are rise to the top and are able to have a, a influence based on any kind of advantage. Uh, this could be education. This could be wealth, social standing, obviously. Uh, this could be gifting. This could be a way, an ability to speak and to weave a story that is persuasive, an ability to line up the facts in a particular way, uh, to make life make sense, and to make it make sense in a way that fits and is good with us. 
And this is, we all know that this is the case, that people who end up in authority, it's usually there's some kind of advantage or some kind of gifting um, that they are able to have, whether that's training or whether it's just natural in and of themselves. And uh, they become visible. And these are present in our lives. These are present all, all over the place. Um, the people who actually have authority, who have influence over the way we view life and the way we see right and wrong and things like this. But here's the thing. This is a really sobering, a sobering passage in that regard. Because, and I want to say this loud and clear, that advantage is not always a bad thing. Education is a good thing. Um, connection is a good thing. We should always look up um, to people who are um, educated and capable in these kinds of things in order to arrive at the truth. But what Jesus is pointing out, and he is using public shame to expose this, is that advantage, in a worldly sense, does not necessarily equal faithfulness to God and wisdom according to his kingdom. And that it is entirely possible, and this is especially sobering as a leader and as a pastor, I would have to say. It is entirely possible to be incredibly gifted and to be incredibly liked, to be incredibly successful, to be incredibly look, looked up to, and be an infant in regard to maturity in following Christ and in the kingdom of God. I have read more articles since going to seminary about the phenomenon of pastors having big heads and heart disease uh, because of this is the case. And it's not just in the church, it's everywhere. That to get a, there, that there is a, a benefit and there is also a great risk in having the kind of gifts that can bring people together and to be persuasive. And Jesus is pointing loud and clear that advantage is not the same thing as faithfulness to Christ. And we need to be aware of that not only for ourselves, but also who we are listening to. Because our lives are full of people who have a voice and who speak with an authoritative voice. And we need to search and we need to ask, who are they? And why are they there? Now, why is their voice persuasive and authoritative? So we have an authority from advantage. Here is another group. But, I, but one of the, other, the last thing I want to say about this that Jesus exposes is that despite all this that they have, despite all this advantage, they are powerless to interpret the times that they are in. And Jesus points to John the Baptist and he gets them in a trap and says, who is this guy? Why is this happening? Why is it going on? And they don't know. Uh, they're caught between the two. It's reminding me, I mean, we just got done through March Madness, um, you know, and I read way too many articles by experts on who to pick and who not to pick. Um, they were all wrong. Every single one of them. And that expertise can only get us so far, even practically, even when we're not talking about faithfulness. We can't predict the stock market, much less the meaning of life. And Jesus is exposing this for us, to pay attention um, that this kind of authority exists and to value, evaluate it for what it is. And while we're talking about John the Baptist, this brings us to our last group here. And I'm going way over time, but that's okay. We're not over time yet, but I'm getting there. Um, but I'm going to, this last point will be much shorter than the first point. Uh, why do the advantage actually have power? 
is because of the, uh, this last kind of, of, of authority, and that is a popular opinion. That they would be nothing without the crowd that props them up. I have a perverse joy of getting on Twitter and uh, not Twitter on Reddit and reading the questions like "Ask Men" columns, and they're anything from um, "What's the worst breakup you went through?" to "Do you get in the shower before you turn on the water or after you turn on the water?" And there are a surprising number of people who get in the shower before they turn on the water. Um, uh, I don't get it. Um, But in all of these situations, there's always somebody who gives an opinion that is not um, the opinion of the mainstream, and they just get hammered again and again and again. We know how public opinion works. Public opinion is very, very powerful, and it is very, very fickle. All of these are in play, and Jesus is positioning himself in the middle of all of these authorities, and he is showing himself. He is claiming to be the authority um, over all of these things and the only one who is trustworthy. Last point here. What's the consequence of this? It's one thing to identify who authorities are and what they offer, but it's another thing. One of the main reasons we actually make decisions is because of the cost uh, that it comes with. And it's kind of obvious. The cost of all of these man-made authorities is that if somebody is popular and gifted and capable and we don't agree with them, then we look like a fool. And if we go against popular opinion, we look like a fool. And these are very powerful forces. And so the appeal of these authorities is they give us the promise that we can avoid those things and we can have somebody who can make life make sense in a way that's good for us. But there's a long-term cost, and that's what this parable is all about. And that this parable is a parable of the history of Israel. That despite all of the blessings of God, all the advantage they gave him, all of his faithfulness, what ended up was a further and further and further hardening and deceiving until the very Son of God showed up in their midst and they didn't even know who he was. This is sin on full power of display. Sin is more than just behaviors. But sin has everything to do with trust and loyalty to our God, our covenant God who has been loyal and faithful to us. And it is a deceptive thing uh, that is very, very powerful. So there is a short-term gain but a long-term cost. But what is the opposite is true? Uh, Just think about this from the other way. Think about Christ's authority. Then almost the exact opposite is true. If Christ is the authority of who he says he is, then there's a short-term cost then it means we have to deal with that thing that rises up against us when we don't like it all the time. We have to deal with the fact that Christ is actually, he's the rejected cornerstone. That he is the one who brought his kingdom via suffering and not through carrying a flag and conquering and being the most universally popular. And he has called all of us to follow him in that. To line up with his authority as things to say that we are wrong and to be willing for him to poke around in our hearts and draw attention to the dark things that are there. There is a short-term loss. But here's the gain. If we look at Isaiah chapter 27, listen to these words. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. 
Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. What Jesus is doing when he sits down in the temple and he is proclaiming his authority, he is showing the temple and the plan and mission of God what it was always intended to be. He is unsettling something that is harmful so that he can bring universal blessing. Not just to this one group of people, but to every group of people in every place. And this is the point of this. Jesus, in his authority, is not a tyrant. He is trustworthy with your wounds. He is trustworthy to wield authority and to poke around in your heart in places that are not comfortable. Because what Jesus is doing is he is bringing fruit where there are only thorns in you and everywhere else. And the advantage of this, as Jesus is doing this, he is bringing this kingdom of blessing through grace. And what he is predicting of how he's going to do this is that he is actually about to lay down his life for those who have rejected him so that they might have this hope. But that means that he has the authority to tell you whether your sins are forgiven or not. It is not up to your conscience. It is not up to your heart. He has the authority to tell you whether you are valuable or not. He has the authority to tell you whether the end of your story is going to be good or whether it won't. And your voice and your heart might disagree with him frequently. But if he has the authority, he has the final word on all those things. So I want to invite us to do this uh, this week, is just to examine our hearts, to take stock of all the authorities that are present, to take stock of all the voices that have a claim on our lives, and to compare them with Jesus that we might meet him and he might minister to us and he might fill up our hearts with the longings that uh, we have most dear. Let me stop there and I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, we need your help. We rebel against you every day and we mistrust uh, your intentions and your authority. Have mercy on us and bring us home. Um, all of those here in this room, all of those watching, would you send your spirit this week and would you convict us and would you bring us hope in you? In Christ's name, amen.